You're listening to another Mariners podcast by the fans and for the fans with news and views on the Claret and Blues. Yeah, no one, man. Have a listen. More edition. We hope we find you in, in good fettle after all that has gone on in, in recent months uh, with the well-documented pandemic we've been going through. We hope everyone is fit, well and very, very safe and enjoying their summer. Um we felt it was time to get around the virtual table again and, and, and talk again at more length about South Shields Football Club. And joining myself, Chris and Ronnie uh, this evening it are two very, very special guests who we are very, very delighted to, to have with us. Um, first of all, welcome, Ronnie. Are you all right? I am. I'm sound. Good. Thank good, you. Good. And joining us this evening are none other than... Um, Wouter Verstraten. Welcome, Wouter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good. Good. Uh, we can see you. Obviously, the listeners can't, but uh, it's good to see you. You're looking very, very well indeed. And thrilled to have with us none other than uh, club chairman, uh, Jeff Thompson. Jeff, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me along tonight, lads. Thank you very much indeed. Our pleasure. And you also are look, looking uh, in decent nick. Uh, see of the golf course, I'm quite sure. So, um, so since Ronnie, Simon, and myself um, sat together and, and pondered over things, um, a lot of water has gone under the bridge, um, and uh, we, we we've purposely not got together since until now because we wanted things to settle. So much has gone on since March, and we wanted the dust to settle a little bit. Um, so we felt it was right to get a a, a player. And in Wouter, we've got obviously a more or less a brand new signing. And obviously, club chairman Jeff is going to give us a little bit more in terms of what's going on in the background. Uh, first of all, Wouter, welcome. And it's a warm welcome to South Shields itself. You're now over here in South Shields. Yeah, um, thank you very much. And are you settling into your new surroundings nicely? I am, I am. Obviously, I was in Durham for the last, uh, for the last year almost, uh, going to uni there. Yeah, uh, and then I started playing for South Shields in January, so I'm already a little bit familiar with the place, and I've heard a lot of, about the beautiful coast and everything like that. So uh, I just can't wait to uh, to see to see the city and see more about the city as well. So good, good. So is this kind of is this your first kind of interview or podcast since coming to the northeast? Or have you done any any other ones with South Shields? Yeah, I think I was one time I was in the in the was it the program the match day book I was in there, but yeah. besides that, yeah, it's my yeah. first. So, uh, clearly, obviously, there's been no competitive football since March. Um, how have you spent these last four or five months? Uh, yeah, what you said, a lot's been going on since March. And, and time has flew, actually, now you mentioned it. Um, obviously, in the first couple of weeks after our last game against, uh, against Manchester, um, I've, been, I've been around in England and waiting for what's, what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but as soon as, as I figured out that this is going to take a while, I decided to go home to the Netherlands and um, I've been spending some time with my family, finishing up some exams that were coming up online. And um, I mean, it's been good to be to be home and, and see the family, see friends, which I was not planning on because I was expecting to finish the season with Shields and, um, and then finishing up school and probably stay here over summer. But um, some, some time at home did me well and I'm happy I'm now back here as well as, as things hopefully might start picking up soon again. Let's hope so. Um, so are, are your studies finished now? Are you football full-time? You've still got some more work to do? 
I'm looking forward to, to being a full-time football player. I, the only thing I still have to do is my dissertation. So I finished up all my exam, passed them as well. So make myself oh. happy, make my, make my parents happy. Congratulations. Uh, well thank, you very much, thank you very much. And uh, just working on my dissertation now. So uh, it's good. Very, very what, good. What I was going to ask, what, what was um, lockdown like at, at home? Was it just as bad as it was in the UK or? It was as bad, but the main thing is that the Netherlands was always like three, four weeks ahead of England. So okay. um, when things already were on lockdown in the Netherlands, things were still open here. So we're talking about March now. Yeah. But at the same time, when you guys just opened your pubs and restaurants a little bit, we did that in the month of June. And um, so I was I was home at that time. Still, there were a lot of rules around like sitting down with people or the yeah. difference between people. Um, but yeah, things were starting to get back to normal a little bit with, uh, yeah. with, all, the, with all the rules there. Excellent. Um, there's, there's a question that I think everybody associated with football wants to ask you out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, we've, loads of us have kind of been, ask him, ask him, ask him. Um, why did you choose South Shields over Sunderland? I, was, uh, I thought it was coming, but I thought it was yeah, obviously that that was very interesting as well. So in during lockdown, there was some negotiations with both parties. Um, the main thing I can say is that South Shields has been clear and honest and felt like home from the beginning on. And that's something that that Sunderland couldn't convince me with. Obviously, I've been talking with them about what team I was coming in for, the under twenty threes or the first team, um, and and they they couldn't get clear on that. And they were very, I would not say weird, but it was there was I felt there was something going on within the organization of Sunderland that. That they couldn't convince me about. All right, this is what this is our plan for you. This is what we're gonna do with you. Because um, as a 24-year-old player, I just wanted to have kind of a more clear path that I was gonna go in, and not being the young player that is gonna work his way up in the under-23s or whatever. And and socials just felt like home since the beginning on. And I told them this as well. They they understood my my situation. They said, all right, go talk to Sunderland. We understand that. Uh, just know that we're there for you when you want to sign with us. And and they also said like this is a path we want to go with you, and um, I'm very happy that I made this decision. And and just uh, my family, they they told me as well like, well, you just have to go your feet, um, go and find your feeling, and um, that's what I did. Went to South Shields. Good to hear. We, you know, you're happy. We are very very happy. Um, now, uh, Jeff, um, uh, one of the uh, another question we we were asked frequently is um why don't you get jeff on the podcast why don't you get jeff on the podcast and we we purposely haven't because of the fact that you were we felt you might get podcasted out um <laughs> after what happened march april May, june which was so much going on clearly um you would be aware of i i, I know you have we have we have staff in place at the club who look after negotiations and things but you will know what's going on uh and today, in fact, uh, just uh, literally minutes ago, news came through of the, the potential of uh, Jordan Hunter coming to the club. Now, clearly, um, we, we, we appreciate that you may not be able to divulge certain information, but but um, what is it that, if say if Jordan did sign, um, what is it about the, about the club that, makes players feel comfortable, do you think? You know, Wouters come from Holland, Jordan's come from the Northwest, but have kind of found a home here. Can you put a, a finger on that in any way? 
Well, that's a very good question. I mean, firstly, I'm delighted Wilder signed for us, so it's, it's hardly a welcome, mate, because you've been with us for some time. But it's, I'm delighted that you're, uh, you know, you put pen to paper and that you're, you're with us for a, a longer period and hopefully for the long term. Um, what I would say is obviously we, we, we've been trying to retain as many of the squad that we've had last year as possible. And um, we've had long discussions with Jordan and with Jordan's agent. And likewise with one or two other players that aren't yet quite over the line. Um, so let's hope that in the course of time, those few remaining individuals uh, do get, you know, do do, do sign up and and, and uh, you know we've we've retained that core team, which is a t terrific news for us. Um, turning to the question, though, I think it's difficult. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do is it's always important to surround yourself in whatever you do. With very good people. Mm -hmm. I don't just mean talented footballers in the context of a football club, because clearly that's very important. But also culturally, you know, have the right group of people around you. Uh, I've always tried to be open and honest uh, as an individual. That's a stupid remark because no one's going to say that they're anything other than open and honest. But um, but my point is, you know, if you set out with a clear way in which you want to personally operate and conduct yourself. And you surround yourself with people who are like-minded. And if all of you around that, that team are focused on a common objective and there's no politicking and there's no dishonesty and we're open, you know, the culture is open and honest and people can speak their mind. It doesn't mean that we're all, you know, this sort of happy, clappy bunch. You know, the reality is there is sometimes tension, but we've, we've got a culture in the club that I think is very important and very positive. And, uh, it allows people to express opinions, to um, express ideas, to be open and honest. And I'm, I'd like to think, I'm giving you a long-winded answer, that that's part of that's part of the reason, you know, that we're yeah. we're culturally a, a good place for people to be. Yeah. I think the other thing to say is obviously we've got ambition, and um, we're trying to demonstrate that, notwithstanding the travesty of what happened this season and how we were robbed of promotion. But, you know, we, we've maintained that um, that desire and that ambition. So if you like, combined with the cultural point I made a moment ago and overlay that with ambition and drive and enthusiasm and, and the like, those two things certainly go a long way to, 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 to create the right environment for new, new players to join us. What I was going to add was another dimension to it is what I see in the club, and I don't know if Wouter would back this up but what I've seen with Jordan is he just seemed to love being around the fans at the end of each game he would shake everyone's hand him and Jason Gilchrist and Aaron Thompson and you'd see him in the uh, bar speaking to people after the game and on Twitter his uh, I know his dad was on Twitter and saying how great the club was I think I do think that because we are like such a tight community as a club, including the fans and the the staff, it just must feel like a homely place to be and a safe place to be for a young lad who's kind of not at home. Um, he's he's away from home. Um, I just wonder whether that's another dimension to to why uh, we're attracting the quality of player we are. Because you know, in in business and in organisations. It, it, you're right what you say, Jeff. Everyone has to be uh, pulling in the right direction. But when you've got the fans there as well, the like 99.9% .9 of the fans pulling in the right direction, 
and the you know the hospitality and homely we have here and homeliness we have here in South Shields I think that was a that would have been a, a, a massive um, reason for these guys to uh, to sign. Well done. Yeah. yeah, I completely back you up for that. Um, for me, that that shows a lot. in, for example, the away games we had. Obviously, the home games were always packed, but yeah. um, you cannot expect that from every away game, especially when we did play on on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, and there were always people there for us, and they were loud, and they made the effort to come over. And what you said, like just to go over to them after a game, if we win or lose or, or draw, whatever. Um, it's it's just good to have a little chat with them and, and show them that we are there because they show that they show us that they are there for us every single game and yeah I would I would for sure agree with uh, with you on that um, and another thing but that probably goes with with ambition is, is the professionalism as a player you want to play for a club that's serious with their ambition and shows that uh, they want to go forward as a club and in my short career as a, as a young player I think this is this is a club that's unbelievable professional and, and, and realistic as well and what they what they can and what they want to do. So um, that makes you just very comfortable and, and, to play, and easy to play for. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the fact that, you know, you grew up in Holland. Mm -hmm. um, historically, you know, a, a hotbed of real footballing talent because of the um, academy system there, the schooling system where, you know, kind of total football is coached in youngsters from a very, very early age. And mm -hmm. um, now you grew up um, in that academy system and would have had an excellent footballing education. But one of the things that um, is very, very apparent and it's well known and well documented is the fact that in um, Graham Fenton and, and, and Lee Picton, we've got two very talented coaches. Um, the coaching you, you get from those two and, and, and obviously and Big Brian as well, et cetera, et cetera. Um, are you still are you still able to learn from them? You know, considering the education you've had from such a young age, you've been to America. Are you still learning now? Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's a great question because I always thought that playing for a great youth academy like PSVs, uh, one of the best in Europe, mm. that that must be the best way to learn things. And and I, I oh, don't get me wrong, I, I learned a great deal over there, and and I it was probably the, my best youth time ever because of the facilities and everything we got out there, but. Um, once I left PSV Youth Academy, a whole new world opened up for me and I got completely different flavors of coaches and, and, uh, and influences. And I have to say that the English culture and, and uh, Lee and, and Graham are, are great examples of that. And this is the first time that I have coaches that work together, like two head coaches. That's pretty interesting for me as well. But the fact that they are teaching me right now, that's, that's something, an experience I never had before. And I think it's, in some ways, it's much better for me as a player than, than the youth academy system of PSV, where if you're not um, the, belong to the best three players, for example, in your group, group eight, like you, you won't get the attention I get right now from a player. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm the top three players in this team because I still have to prove a lot and I have to, have to show a lot, but they treat everybody the same, the whole, the whole club. And um, you get just as much attention as a, as a guy that's coming from the under-19s up to us or something like that. So... No, I think I can learn way more here, maybe, than in, in my time at the Youth Academy for PSV, yeah. Excellent. I think yeah. it's great to well, uh, sort of reaffirm that, you know, because I commented earlier about, you know, culture and, and, and ambition, and I didn't specifically mention, firstly, Lee and Graham, because, you know, they epitomise that professionalism and that experience, and culturally, clearly, 
drive the culture and the way in which the club tries to operate. So I should have mentioned them. And, and, and indeed, Ronnie, you're quite right. I should have equally mentioned the fans because I don't really differentiate, you know, in the sense that yeah. I've, you've heard me comment and I'm sure I'll repeat it this evening that I see the club becoming increasingly a community-owned club and fans being at the absolute centre of that. So you're quite right to point out that, you know, they're an important part of the culture and the ethos of the club. Yeah, I think it's a two-way thing as well, right? It's like if the club are welcoming and hospitable to the fans, then it will come back and return. I mean, a good example is the marquee opening. I mean, me and Chris went to the opening night, as you wouldn't be surprised. It was <laughs> tremendous to see everyone together. And it was so well organised and so well run. It just made you miss what, what, what we'd had before. But just the fact that, that the club was thinking about that, obviously there's a there's a commercial angle as well, but just the way everyone was welcomed and how it was run, it was, it was just kind of another example of how the community and the club can work together seamlessly, really. Yeah. Yeah. Been some two good nights. Um, The only thing is, it actually, you know, it makes you actually want the football back even more because you look at the the pitch out there, Mariners, and it looks so so beautiful, and you think, oh, new new dugouts in place, and it just just seems ready. But of course, the the opening of the marquee is a is a new. I say new. It's a it's a kickstart of a of a revenue stream, Jeff. Um, clearly, I don't think people will realise just in South Shields's case just how big of a, a a drop in income has come in because of the the pandemic. Because what we what we can't forget, I think, and we we easily do it, is the fact that once the football season's finished, we, bear in mind we had four or five home games left to play. That's four four events, but over the summer. You, you would continue to have scores of events in the various function areas, the marquee and the two lounges. So the I guess the the reopening of the marquee is just a kind of a tiny portion of what has been lost, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's a small step in the right direction. Um, and, that, you know, just to comment on the numbers, um, you know, you will all be aware we had a, we have got a very detailed financial model. We've had a plan to launch our fan share ownership scheme on the 6th of April. We were due to launch that. So we've done behind the scenes an awful lot of work on obviously numbers. We've also done work around that though on structure, legal structure, etc. So that we created an, ent- an entity that the fans can invest in with no debt. So there's been an awful lot of work going on in the background running up to that what was originally the target date of the 6th of April. So both, as I say, financial modelling and, and structural and legal stuff. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic hit us um, and we clearly couldn't launch the, the, the share ownership scheme at this time for, for, for very obvious reasons. All of that uncertainty and people's personal uncertainties as well. Um, so... Um, Turning to the point about the club, um, financially, it's been a really torrid time. I don't want to suggest otherwise. You know, we'll, we're, we're going to be fine. We'll get through it. But yeah, you know, revenues have fallen off a cliff. We had four games left at home remaining. Typically, you know, given where we were as well, um, we would have expected very high gates for the, those last four home games. And, and revenues, you know, approaching... 
four, well, they're not always at this run rate, but you know, for the last four games, maybe approaching forty thousand pounds, mm-hmm. forty thousand um, pounds per game. Um, so we lost, you know, approaching two hundred thousand pounds or approaching that number. And as you rightly say, all of the the, the sort of non-match day hospitality stuff that would have continued over summer. So what that's meant is we've, um, you know, we've 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 had a, we are having a tough time. Um, to turn to what what's now planned, Keith, our chief exec, um, who's very numerate, I'm pleased to say, he's been doing most of the work. I try and uh, pretend I'm making a contribution to it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Keith's um, done an awful lot of work on recutting our numbers. And the difficulty, of course, is we now don't know when the season will begin. I have had some dialogue with the league. Uh, just last week, I was talking to Mark Harris and other representatives. Northern Premier League, and I'm not speaking out of term. You know, it's I think it's now with um, DCMS. You know, so with the government, and there's certain things that need to be signed off and agreed between the league, the FA, and DCMS. But the intention, I think, is to get started again in sometime in September. Although, yeah. you know, we all we all wait with bated breath to see the exact date. So yeah. I don't want to waffle. What I'm saying is, though, that you know, imagine you've got now all of that lost revenue over the summer you've now got uncertainty about when the season's going to begin and equally you've got this challenge of with social distancing what are going to be the rules you know we've had crowds well the, you know Wouter mentioned the FC United game you know we had over 3,000 people at Mariners Park that day yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately it's unlikely we're going to be able to do that uh, certainly in the short the medium term so we're trying to model uh, with all of that uncertainty, but what we can say is undoubtedly our revenues are going to take a hit this year, um, and we're, you know, we're going to have to get through that. Which I don't want to sort of be mealy mouthed about it. You know, it's it's a tough, tough situation. We're going to be fine. You know, it's, we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, but I don't want to sort of sugarcoat it either and say, oh, you know, it, it, it's a walk in the park because it's not. It's it's going to be difficult. We're no different to many many other clubs and sadly many many other businesses. Yes. Um, but, you know, what I can say is that you have always run the club um, with the right financial control. You know, we, we prepare our monthly management accounts. We know where we are. You know, like any well-run business, we, we you know, we're all over the numbers. So we're prepared. Um, I think what I'd like to think is, you know, we're going to go again this coming year. No pressure on Wouter and the rest of his teammates, nor on Lee and Graham. But, you know, we want to. We want to get out of this league and get into National League North. Um, so we'll be pushing to, to achieve that this yeah. coming season. Uh, we've agreed a budget with Lee and Graham, and that's you know in place. Yes. Uh, and that's not you know materially different to the budget they had last year, notwithstanding the difficulties we've got with top line revenues. Um, so I'm trying to summarise and say, you know, so we're, we're almost there with the revised set of numbers. We need to understand when the when the season's going to begin and we need to understand what social distancing rules will prevail. But we've taken a prudent view. We've assumed that crowds will be lower and consequently our top line revenues will be lower. And it's going to be a, a more difficult year financially. But, you know, in summary, we, we have to push for promotion, get ourselves out of this league. Yeah. as best we can and coming back to the sort of slightly longer term I've always said you know that um, we can get this club to become sustainable and to be community owned 
that's that's the intention to be a fan owned or largely fan owned it might be me and others other businessmen in south tyneside perhaps but my point is the fans will have a very strong voice in how the clubs run and will be owners of the club so that's the intention if you look at the three-year modeling that we've now done uh, in light of covid um you know we effectively lost a year so we're going to be push pushing back a yes. year um mm -hmm. and we hope that you know soon enough this this terrible virus will be defeated and we'll be back to normal and if we can get out of national league sorry get out of the uh, northern premier league and international league north that would be terrific um in terms of numbers you know what does sustainability look like you know we need to be really doubling our revenues Mm -hmm. when, when the club doubles its revenues from its current run rate, then we'll be in a position where it's sustainable and we can continue to move forward. And I think that's, it sounds like a big, big hurdle, but I think we can achieve that. Um, and, and there's a number of ways of doing that. Obviously, more people into Mariners Park, uh, notwithstanding what I've just said about COVID. But, uh, you know, over the medium to longer term, we want to yes. create more capacity at the ground, more people in the ground, uh, greater revenues. If you look at our discretionary spend, you know, our secondary spend, we only average just over six pounds per attendee on average. Um, so we want to, you know, I, I just throw that number out there. But mm -hmm. to illustrate the point, you know, if we can get more people through the gate and get them to spend more, mm -hmm. not because we're being mercenary, but because we want to reinvest the money. Oh. Um, if we if we can drive all of those things, all of those KPIs, all of those drivers, then we'll be in a good place. And we know what we've got to do. So sorry for the long-winded answer, but um, no need to apologise because I think the supporters want to hear this. And my, my, there's been a lot of talk on various social media platforms that, in terms of social distancing, maybe a, a thirty percent attendance in grounds because of. So if we, if our capacity is three three, you're looking at eleven hundred, twelve hundred. We average last season was getting between fifteen and sixteen hundred. Clearly. You know, that is going to be lower. Um, even if it is 11 to it might not even be that. Um, but obviously every other club's in the same position. But if you look at Buxton, they are they are um, pushing the board out in terms of signing. So different clubs will be in different positions at different times, which, le which leads me on to something I wanted to ask Wauka. Um, sorry, Ronnie, what, was he, what were you going to ask? Yeah, I was just going to ask. I just had an idea and it might be absolutely horrendous, but and you might not know the answer. Uh, Jeff, but you know when when we've been watching the um, the top flight football during the lockdown, um, one of the things that that has been done is the streaming of the the live games, and I and I just wonder whether it could be something that South Shields could do, and, and I know there's there's image rights and all that kind of stuff because I think, and I know me for one, if I couldn't get into the match because of limitations of, of capacity because of all of the uh, measures we need to take if there was a, a stream available with maybe a little bit of commentary at a fiver or something or a, a, a small price i i just have this feeling especially that uh because we what we know from this podcast is a big percentage of this podcast are for people who don't even live in south shields so i just wonder i just have this feeling that if that was offered I think we'd get a really good take-up. Yeah, well, I'm pleased to say we're well down the path with that. And we've, we've got a proposed solution. One of the challenges is, um, again, it was raised when I met, or sorry, when I had a virtual meeting with Mark, 
Mark Harris at the league. You know, you've got this blackout period, haven't you, where you can't stream a live game between the hours of, um, I think it's, I'll get the time slot wrong, but it's sort of quarter to three yeah. through to five o'clock or something Quarter past like that. five, yeah, quarter past five. So that that is a you know that requires an act of parliament to change yep. it. So you know we can't clearly break that rule. So if we are going to live stream, you're right. We need a technology solution, which we think we've found. We need to get the pricing right, and thirdly, um, we've got to overcome this blackout problem, mm. and that would require um, us agreeing with the other club to kick off early. And then maybe having some kind of revenue share with the other club. So all of yeah. this is in the, the all of that is in the melting pot. I'm glad you raised it, and it's something we're we're very well. We spent a lot of time on it during lockdown. We've a number of the team have been um, trying to sort of work out how we might achieve that. So so that's you know it's pending in in a nutshell. Yeah, because I I always thought that blackout period was to help clubs like ours, so they weren't allowed to put a top flight game on at that time for people to watch that game at home and not come and support their local club. But I probably have to do a bit of research on that. I'm, I'm sure that was what why it was, because I always used to right. kind of ask, why can't I not move? Look, why can't we not watch top five football at three o'clock on a Saturday? And I, I think I do remember people saying it's because the local clubs would lose out because you get half the people probably watching that game on the telly. Yeah. Well, of course... Not only will you have social distancing, I guess, Jeff, and you, you, I don't know whether this has been part of the conversation with, with Mark Harris, there could well be a, a blanket ban on away support until a certain time because of the fact that crowds will be limited. Um, I, I'm not sure, Chris. I think what, what I do know is that um, when we get the directive from DCMS, stroke the league, stroke the FA, um, it's likely that each club will have to clearly will have to do its own risk assessment. We'll have to publish that risk assessment, you know, make it visible on on our website. Yeah. And obviously, we have to then operationally execute that and make sure that whatever controls are required are delivered on match days. So there's an awful lot of work to be done, but we don't, you know, the devil's in the detail. We don't know yet. Um, but all we can do is, um, you know think out of the box about how to how to solve it uh, and indeed how to influence our revenues like you just said Ronnie about streaming I mean dare I say the other the other idea we had was some kind of flexible pricing model which the league would have to approve where if you come in early it's a tenner but if you come in late it's a bit more all um, right okay so you know we're trying to think out of the box about yeah. how to how to how to drive it I must stress all of that is intended just to create revenues to reinvest and I, I'm conscious you want to bring Wilder in but no, summarise all of that for me it's um, you know you guys know good work that we're doing with our academies um, which are growing you know I'm delighted about that um, equally our relationship now with um, you know Harton and Westall Miners Welfare where we've you know, I'm on the I'm one of the board of trustees at the welfare. I'm delighted to say I'm flattered that they asked me along. So the club and its its academies and indeed our foundation, which is growing from strength to strength, all of those things are part of the mix. You know, to make the club sustainable, to make it an important part of the community. It's quite multifaceted. You know, there's an awful lot of moving parts there, but they're all heading in the right direction. And despite the turmoil of 
the COVID situation, we'll come out the other side and all of those things I've just touched on, we'll, we'll continue to invest in. But ultimately, as I always, I've always said, it's down to will the fans turn up and will they spend their money? And if they continue to do that, we're in a great place. I think once we do get a start and once restrictions are lifted, I think it'll be a case of keeping the fans away rather than bringing them in. I do think people will need a fix of some description. And speaking of fix, you know, speaking of getting things, you know, the the timing of this podcast, you know, was has been specific because I've always felt that um, September sometime might have been a, a start of a potential new season, taking into account what we'd heard from the government in recent weeks. And so obviously things are looking slightly more positive in that aspect. So while um, you're here now, um, say, for instance, we did get underway sometime in September, we've got to have a pre-season. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, players, staff have been furloughed, so will have been training remotely, mm-hmm. um, doing, keeping their own fitness going. Um, how have you done that yourself? Yeah, I have to say, as a football player, it's just been it's just been hard to hard to do nothing. I mean, you just and maybe in the beginning you were like, all right, we got this couple of weeks now, but after a while you're just like, I missed the football game so much that you just can't sit still. And um, for me, especially now here being being in England, with I mean, I have some friends over here, don't get me wrong, but just being by myself now and spending some time on my studies. But I just go out every day, go for a run, go to the court. I'm actually living very close to the foundation and uh, I just got my, my own football and bring it over there. So, and just asking around in the team and we have a little group chat going, obviously. Um, everybody, everybody's staying in shape and we're challenging each other here and there, you know, with some with some running times and uh, <laughs> that's actually the fun part. So, it's it's hard to sit still, to be honest. So, we just can't wait to, to start. I know I know Lee and Graham are looking for six, seven weeks of pre-season. Yes. So, probably beginning of August or maybe the end of this month. So we're just waiting for that as well as players to know like the exact date to start. But everybody's very eager and actually can't wait to start. So, Ronnie, you'll remember this when we had Lee and Graham on here to do like a season review. You could see in their faces just how determined oh, yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, you know, they're clearly hurting and, and um, you could see just oh, it rankled and they were very, very keen. So I, I, so I think... I, 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 in essence, I think pre-season can't come soon enough. But at least, you know, at least we're talking football again, Jeff. We're not talking about court cases and things. Yeah, it's been a tough period. Um, as you all know, we um, we tried to uh, engage with the league and with the FA and start some dialogue to try and understand whether there was a... You know, we wanted consultation. You've heard all of this before, but just to summarise it again, you know, we, we didn't feel the process was followed correctly. But, um, you know, we wanted consultation, we wanted dialogue, we wanted involvement. It didn't happen. Uh, We had no choice, really. We either had to just drop it entirely or go down the arbitration path. Um, And in the FA rule book, there's a thing called Rule K, which is the only mechanism that exists to allow a club like, well, any club to to raise, um, you know, a concern or a challenge. So we did that. We did it on behalf of hundreds of clubs, by the way, as you all know. It wasn't just us being difficult in any sense. Uh, but unfortunately, we lost that legal argument. Um, I'm conscious that I've got to be careful what I say. You know, clearly, I'm, I can say I'm bitterly disappointed about the outcome of that. And uh, we've just got to dust ourselves down, you know. Um, you know, life's like that, though. I mean, 
I don't want to use stupid cliches now, but you know, I think about my own personal career and my own personal life, and it's all you know. The reality is, life's full of difficult circumstances, challenges, ups and downs, and it's a question of how you respond. And you know, you either just kind of cry in the corner and feel sorry for yourself, <laughs> yeah. or you or you get up and you go again, and that's exactly what we're going to do. It's not not easy sometimes, but that's exactly what we'll do. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, that 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 was a, a painful experience, and it's interesting. Just today, I saw on social media confirmation from National League that they've adopted points per game. So everybody else, other than steps three through seven, have done something different, which is you know it just adds a little bit of um, well mm. salt to the wounds, I guess. But it is what it is. We've lost. Yeah. We tried our best. We went about it in the right way, and I have to respect the outcome. Yeah, Ronnie. I was going to ask Walter a question. Um, one of the things that last season that really impressed us was some of the, the younger lads like Aaron Thompson and Jordan Hunter and Will Jenkins, and they're incredibly young, right? 18, 19, 20. And what we've seen in the past three seasons in that, that standard is a lot of players of that age coming out of professional clubs trying to play at that standard. And the physicality of it and just the demands of the amount of games and the the pitches and all that kind of stuff we've seen a lot of really good players that just haven't been able to make an impact but if you those three players that I've mentioned this season not only have they held their own but they've also kind of had man of the match performances as well so the question I was going to ask you and sorry for this was if you cast your mind back to when you were that age mm-hmm. how would you have found this league Northern Premier League. Northern Premier League. Perfect, to be honest. The way you describe it, that, that's exactly how it is. And in some, some ways, I, I also see myself kind of as those, those young guys, uh, maybe in my own, <laughs> in my own benefit. But um, I'm 24, so I'm probably in the, right in between the, the guys of John Shaw and, and Jordan yeah. Hunter. Um, but I still, I still learn a lot from those guys, from John Shaw, Gary Brown, uh, Briggsy. Um, Phil Turnbull, that those guys are just amazing to have around, and um, obviously they're on the part time with with the club. But the times that they're there on the Tuesdays and Thursdays, and obviously on the game days, uh, they seem so relaxed, and they just—it's like that they know not exactly know what's going to happen during the game, but it's it's nice to see them relaxed faces. And uh, as a as for me, I was obviously a new player, new player in England, so um, it's just nice to see that. And and in terms of Aaron Thompson, Jordan Hunter, and and, and Jenkins, and Sam Sam Hodgson as well. Yeah. It's it's just amazing the way they perform and they they go 110% every single training session and it's just um, it keeps me sharp I think it's, it keeps the older lads sharp as well because uh, those guys are knocking on the door and what you said they had the men of the match performances so uh, yeah. they have a very strong squad and uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how it's going to develop during the season yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting you say you're going to learn from Gary Brown. He's got quite a lot of interesting things to teach you on the pitch, I think, with the dark arts. and the... oh, it's, it's a big part of the game, so uh, if, you, if you don't have that, you won't survive in the, in the Northern Premier League. Yeah, he knows all every trick of the book. Exactly, exactly. And he, he picked me up in Durham for every training session, and 
uh, the conversations we had for his career, even the other clubs he played for. It's just, it's, uh, you can write a book about that. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and one question is, um, have you been rehydra- rehydrating like he has? <laughs> uh, I tried to stay away from that a little bit. <laughs> um, but hey, it's, it's the cards, you know, he gets them in. Why not? <laughs> uh, Jeff, one thing I want to ask you, and hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, but just I don't want to go over old ground again and again and again. But if say for instance um, this happened again, and um, we felt hard done by, um, given hindsight, would you do it again? And 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 take you know and take the nest the, the the steps that you've taken in the last four months. Would you would you do it again? No, knowing what you do now. Well, that's a very good question. Um, I'd start by saying, you know, it, it's important to have principles and to try and stand by those principles. Of course, you've got to be a bit careful that that isn't false. You know, you don't want to end up putting yourself in a difficult position just because you've got strong views on a certain matter. Um, obviously, I now know the outcome and it's cost us money. So would I do it again, knowing the outcome? Well, the answer is economically, no, I wouldn't. Mm. (laughs) The contradiction, though, is that from a principled point of view, we did exactly the right thing. Yeah. You know, and I think, um, again, I can't comment too much, but, you know, I have to respect the outcome. Doesn't mean I agree with it, but I have to respect it and, um, and or, or rather, I have to accept it. So... There's some contradiction in my answer, I'm afraid, Chris. No, no, um, just, I, I guess there would be. I, I, I kind of guess there would be, Jeff. The thing, um, the thing that, um, the thing that really angered me about the whole thing, and you know, Jeff, you've you've built up and ran large organisations, and in those organisations, what you need to have, and you actually regulated on it in in some cases, is contingency plans for if the worst does happen. So what I what I what staggered me was the league and the FA just didn't have some kind of thing in the rule book to say, you know, if the worst happens and we can't finish the season, then we will do this, either PPG, even if it was null and void, was was the rule and everyone signs up to it, at least everyone would know and it could be consistent on what would happen next. And I and I think that's the root cause of this whole thing. And and I wonder, and I do wonder whether um, they've got plans for um, what happens if clubs get in trouble and they want to move down a league and what they do then, or whether they're just going to um, take the decision as and when something happens. Well, I'm not privy to a whole host of things, of course, but I do believe there is now plans afoot to um, deal with a repeat of this pandemic, you know, and, and, and a season not being able to be completed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, well, I hope and believe that is the case. And I, th- I suppose, secondly, um, for me, the issue was also in the absence of some clear rules about it, there should have been a, a process that was followed and that process should have been consultative and yep. participative. And unfortunately it wasn't, but you know, I'm, I'm crying over spilled milk. Uh, it's done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's extremely difficult and um, and, and hugely disappointing. And, 
and, and grossly unfair, but but it is what it is. Yeah. I'll probably say yeah. more than I should. I think, you know, um, it's happened. We're all hugely disappointed. But as I said a moment ago, and you know, we've got a budget that's, you know, aggressive. We've got a great team of players, which I'm delighted about. You know, we've retained, by and large, the, the whole squad. Um, it's the whole easy. squad, and is it Jeff more or less? It, I mean, like, well, I mean, by and large, yeah. There's one or two notable, well, one or two people that are. are, are I'm deliberately dancing around it, but there's one or two still to, to kind of conclude. Um, yeah. And uh, but you know the point I'm making is notwithstanding the disappointment of what's happened this season, I, I repeat, we're going again. We've got a great team of players with us. We, you know, the leadership structure's intact. Lee and Graham, John, you know, the whole team in the academy, etc., etc. So it's all, you know, it's kind of business as usual. It's just yeah. a bit, a bit painful, and, and and yes, it's been a very expensive exercise. I'm very grateful to the fans, by the way, because you know when they heard about us having to pick up the FA's legal bill or a big yeah. portion of it, some of the fans stepped in and tried to help, which is an incredible gesture. Yeah, and I, I would never have asked anything of that of anybody. And, you know, we as a club, back to our morals and our principles and our values, we have to accept that we lost the legal argument and there's a cost associated with that and we will we will meet our obligations. Yeah, but the the, the crowdfunding thing um, was, a, was a, a lovely gesture uh, and a very welcome one. And, and well, the gentleman in, who, who got that up and running, he knows who he is, we know who he is. Um, but, of course, that, that's a... a there's so much being going on as well, which is so positive. Um, the the um, the meals, the, the meal delivery service. I know Jeff, yeah. you were involved a little bit in that in the earliest outset. Um, I did, did a couple of deliveries, yes. Yeah. Everyone will criticise me for disappearing sharpish, but I I did try and help. And uh, <laughs> I mean, the other things, you know, back to what the club's all about. You know, that was an intention, yes, to provide a service. Yes, of course, it added a little bit of revenue. But you know, there's other things we've done, like. I was involved, Lee Graham and many others were involved in making welfare calls to our fans during the early stages of the, uh, the pandemic. And, you know, that wasn't a gimmick and we didn't do it for any particular accolade. We just, we all divvied up a list of mm-hmm. fans and, and it was lovely to go out and reach out to people and see how they are. And, and that's, again, I'd like to think kind of epitomises what the club's all about. Absolutely. And if you look at what's on TV now with the adverts, you know, Santander, Barclays, they're all doing it, but South Shields Football Club beat them to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, didn't you know. have the, we didn't have the media budget. To put no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, having, yeah. uh, my missus has um, probably seen, during the early part of lockdown, I think she saw more John Shaw than she saw me, because John was getting <laughs> that many meals. <laughs> never away from my front door. People will be talking. Uh, but but no, the, the meals, the, the football cards, the, the raffles, the... You know, people like Alison Keynes, John Hardy doing stuff like that. Um, it's the yeah. constant. It, it, well, that it goes to show, Jeff. You know that the fans, you know that they are ready to come back, and I think it'll yeah. it will take off, and it will ca- you'll catch up financially at some point. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many, Chris. I don't know how many there were, but that the the scheme where you could buy a season ticket and donate it back. Yeah. I mean, it seemed that that was really well received and. A lot yeah. of people went for that. And then, I mean, what was it, 650 or something season tickets mm. for next year already sold? It's it, 
it just it just shows what I was saying before is because the the club put a lot into the community, the community recognizes that. And it's because the club have done the right thing. I think the the community will will understand that and 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 come to the rescue and and spend money there. I mean, yeah. we we already spend quite a lot of money there, Chris. But if, yeah. if others Thanks. could spend like us, would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get Walter. We'll have to get Walter drunk one night and uh, <laughs> get him on that karaoke. We'll see what his singing voice is like. Bring me wallet, no problem. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah. need we need a debit card now. It's contactless payment now. Well, cash anymore. Um, <laughs> Actually, something you touched upon earlier, Jeff, which is about the fact that, um, you know, kind of there's a gap year here with the plan. You know, this, this kind of 12 month period that we're going to have there's a bit of a gap in it. We've touched upon that already, but I guess, you know, um, there's more to it because of the fact that we've lost this year. Well, yeah, I mean, had everything gone to plan, we might well have started some of the works required for our further ground improvements over mm. the summer. Uh, in the event, all we've done is put in uh, one additional turnstile to try and alleviate some traffic issues uh, down Shaftesbury Avenue and separately, of course, the dugouts. So quite modest improvements this year. We have invested further in the pitch, as you know, so we always do the right thing there at close the season, uh, making sure it's properly prepared for the start of this year. Um, but yeah, we've we've been carrying on with our dialogue with uh, with the council. It hasn't been easy. That's not anybody's fault, certainly not the council's fault. But, you know, we've got some challenging uh, planning issues to overcome. But to, to come to the point, you know, we have a clear master plan to create Mariners north of 5,000 capacity stadium with 2,000 seats. Now, it might not be quite Wembley Stadium, but, you know, the point is that is the the the. the, the if you like, the most immediate objective to get to that point, because that gives us um, football league ground grading. Um, you know, it, it meets that requirement. And we have a clear plan to deliver that. It doesn't come cheap. So the next steps hopefully are we get through planning, although that's still, as I say, not without its difficulties. Probably next summer now, we'd, mm-hmm. uh, we'd build our new stand if we get through the planning. And that would create north of a thousand seats additional seats and then either that same time or quickly thereafter we'd be building our academy building yeah um although we have been talking recently about would the academy building be better placed at at Shaftesbury Avenue i.e at Mariners or would we relocate it to the Miners Welfare yeah which is where a lot of our you know our training facilities exist the challenge there of course is we don't own the freehold of the welfare and we do own the freehold at Mariners. So there's, there's a whole host of things to consider. But in, in a, I wouldn't want you to think we've lost a year. We've lost a year, sadly, because we didn't get promoted. But, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Um, as I say, we hope to get through the planning challenges. We hope to build a stand next summer. The foundation I've touched on, but, you know, we there's a measure for the social impact of our charitable foundation. It's done over £3 million worth of positive social impact. The number of junior teams that are being increasingly involved now in the academy is increasing. We're doing other activities under the leadership of Steve Cam, you know, and a lot going on at the welfare. We've, there's a lot of work being done at the welfare. Yeah, seen that. It looks lovely. Yeah. It looks beautiful. It does look really good, doesn't it? So, yeah. you know, I could, I could honestly, I could bore you all all night with the myriad of things that are going on, but they're all very positive. 
notwithstanding mm-hmm. the disappointment of the, the lack of promotion. But, you know, we, we, we go again, as I keep saying. And uh, behind the scenes, as I say, all our plans for further ground improvement continue. All of the work in the foundation making huge steps forward. And as I say, both the Futures Academy and the Academy, once we're able to get them back properly, again, we'll, we'll, we'll go from strength to strength. Fantastic, fantastic. And Walter, are you all ready, ready for pre-season now, yeah? Yeah, I'm all ready. Yeah, ready to go. <laughs> yeah, we'll have football soon, mate. We'll have football soon. Just stay out of the bar at the welfare. I know you live near the welfare. Just stay out of the bar. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Okay, we have to do some team activities, team activities, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think sat, I think probably a Saturday evening, about five o'clock, after you've got had a shower after a game, that's probably the best time. All right, very good. Well, uh, I'll get together with the lads, and we might we might come by for a for a team activity. There we go. Brilliant. Um, um, um one of the th- Jeff, um, another question that was asked, and I know we've kind of for those of people in the know, I think. Can, we'll be able to surmise what you get at in terms of one or two players that are not over the line and we can't divulge. But one of the positions that has been kind of talked about recently is the goalkeeping position. We haven't got Ross Coombe, but um, I guess one of those things that have to go over the line is the goalkeeping position. Would I be right in surmising that? Yeah, yeah, and we're uh, well advanced with that. Yeah. And- I'm hopeful that we'll be able to make an announcement in due course, but you know we're we're very much aware that is um, yeah. still outstanding. So those those supporters who are keen, you know, um, just watch this space. Something will be happening very soon. Sincerely, uh, hope so. yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. hope so. Say about that, Chris. You know, we're talking about we haven't we've lost a year in not getting promotion, but I, I don't think we've lost a year of how the team has come together on the pitch in terms of depth strength quality i think if you look now pretty much every single position once we get a goalkeeper the strongest i've ever seen it by a long way if you look at the fc united game if you use that as a benchmark that was probably i probably said it on a previous podcast since march it was it was right up there with one of the best football matches i've ever seen brilliant Um, and i don't want to sound melodramatic but it really was because you had the two best teams in the league in the best form of the of the season, going hammer and tongs. We absolutely destroyed them in the first half hour. They came back and gave it plenty. We came back at them and then they came back at us. And it was just a fantastic advert of football. And um, if you look at the squad at that point, I mean, Darius wasn't quite 100% fit. Mesa was never quite fit, but we were getting there. And um, we were just at the, you know, ready to kind of, I suppose, take off. It, it could have, the way we were looking at that time was that we could have gone on and probably potentially won every every game after that. Yeah. So yeah, we are in a great position. I mean, why would I? You mentioned earlier about the fact that there was, you know, there's the there's the WhatsApp, the team groups and stuff, the chat groups. Mm-hmm. You would be able to confirm that you know that everybody in that group is absolutely ready and raring to go. Yeah, exactly. And and what you just saw with uh, with that with that game as a as a player, it doesn't it doesn't scare me at all. But it's more like something in, inside me just wants to prove me even better because it's it's going to be a battle this season as well for who's going to play. And and obviously with a lot of games, you need a lot of players, so that's that's a good thing. But purely as a football player, just that's it just like puts the fire inside me to to prove yeah. myself. So that's that's actually a good thing. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Well, gentlemen, I'm. I'm exhausted of all the questions I had. Ronnie, anything else you would like to add? No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. 
Yeah. Jeff, well done. Are you um, okay with everything? Yes, very well. Yeah, thank you again. I'm delighted to have been invited along and nice to chat to you all. And uh, just a final thing for me would be, you know, to thank our fans for uh, all of their ongoing support and commitment. Uh, and maybe if I could, in, in closing, just repeat the point about fan ownership. We will be launching the the scheme. Uh, it'll probably be in the autumn, dependent upon, of course, when the season starts. And that will be the first step towards the fans having you know, a seat on the board, having a say in how the club is run. I mean, they, they clearly have an influence and a voice now, but, you know, more formally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, watch this space. It won't be too long. Hopefully, once we know when the season's going to begin, we can start announcing plans in that regard. And I just want to thank them for uh, all of their hard hard work, support, and indeed our sponsors, who have yeah. been absolutely terrific. And uh, just look forward to seeing the lads back at Mariners playing the kind of football we played last year. Absolutely, yeah. We're nearly there, I think. You know, September's not too far away. If that is when it's going to start, so... Who knows, not be too long before we see each other down there. Um, so, um, Ronnie, thank you very much indeed, once again. Uh, and, um, Wouter, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your company and for being so open and honest. We thank you so very, very much indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Mariners podcast. Positivity coming out of it, we hope. And um, let's hope that what we've heard this evening um, continues. And we might see each other very, very soon down at Mariners. Um, September isn't too far away. So from Jeff, Wouter, Ronnie and myself, it's thank you for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you very soon. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to this Mariners podcast. There'll be another one along soon before you can see it. John Shaw.